as you go through your day here. It's possible even in daily activities to begin to recognize this function of intention and motivation in our actions. I'd say one of the easiest places to recognize it is in the shift between major postures. Going from sitting to standing, standing to walking, walking to standing, and the movement to lying down. We can also notice it in simpler, smaller movements, the intention to reach, to pick up a fork, the choice of which piece of food to put that fork in. The intentions and motivations are intimately connected to our choices, to the choices that are made. Again, it feeling like I'm making the choice, but choice being a process also. And so this investigation or this exploration can extend into our daily activities as well. Curiosity about how this mind and body goes about doing its day. So we have a couple of minutes for questions and I'd like to leave a little space and see if there's someone who hasn't asked a question in the hall who'd be uh, wanting to ask a question. I'm not saying to not do it, just know that it's happening, yes, and know that in this case there is a personal kind of sense of uh, engagement with that doing, that it feels like I'm doing it. So yeah, just be aware of that, and, and, and in that awareness you might at times recognize that sometimes those shifts happen, uh, you might notice an intention around a shift that is just happening without the sense of you doing it. So, you know, so the investigation can begin to reveal more. So yeah, you don't have to not do them.
a little bit of gravity in the way. <laughs> so, I'll put this out. So Oliver Sacks was talking about a fellow who had been born without sight, but through an operation was given sight. Yeah, I've heard about this one, okay. yeah. And so what was happening is that his sight organ was working again, which would be body, right? And he knew it, consciousness, knowing. Mm -hmm. But perception was not, he could not make sense of it. So perception was Yeah, the, 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 the well, the perception was active, but not in the way that we normally would think of it. So, you know, uh, my understanding is like the first time he had sight, he opened his eyes. And basically the description was form and color. Yes. He saw form and color. And there was some recognition of form and color, but not the understanding of what that form and color was mm -hmm. because he was blind from birth. Yes. And so, the you know, there are times actually in meditation where we can enter into this kind of place where... What, what our eye sees is simply form and color. That's it. That's the process that happens in the eye. The brain puts together the uh, concepts, the ideas of uh, in what we see. So looking out at this room and seeing people and objects, that's happening in the mind. That's not the eye, apparently. Um, and so the... My understanding of that is that basically because he didn't have the, you know, the years of being a child and experiencing form and color and understanding the association of that, um, it became, it, he, he, I think he learned a little bit about it, but it never got to the place where he could really navigate the world in an ordinary way like we do. Because um, the brain, I think it was more the brain hadn't had the training so the eye could physically see. And so this really begins to point to the um, the way the perceptual processes are really mental. I think that's and a... That is, that is correct. It would be perception. In terms in, of yes. Of yes. It, it's perception that was, function, that was functioning, that was not, not functioning in the normal way with his eyes. You know, I think what he said was there was this this blob in front of him and then he heard his physician's voice and he knew that that blob represented his physician because the perceptual function was very skilled with the ear mm -hmm. you know so um yeah mm -hmm. so, so that the, that he he could begin to make connections but those kind of very interwoven connections like i was saying yesterday of you know how i see the wall and know it's hard without touching it, that kind of, those kind of interconnections between the sight and the, you know, hearing the sound and knowing something, you know, no, uh, recognizing what it is, those connections weren't quite as easy to make, I think partly because they, a lot of that happens in childhood. Yeah. 
very cynical of um, being thirsty. And he evolved to get some water. You would not say the eye is really coming into play. Well, it might come into play. <laughs> That's a sense of self, yes, that's a sense of self, yeah. Yeah, I, what I was saying is that if you're just simply watching the processes of body and mind, you, there, there can just be the recognition of sitting in the room for an hour and a half, body needs water, you know, just the physical processes at play create the sense of thirst, and that uh, sense of thirst will in, uh, condition the motivation to do something without necessarily a sense of I coming into play, but I can definitely come into play there. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. No, we, the thinking can be happening without a sense of I doing it or I involvement. When an insight arises, often a thought comes into, it's like perception. Perception is often a, a, a form of thought. So I just thought of the insight, but any perception, like just sitting, sitting here, the sounds are coming in, the mind recognizes it as bird, it's a form of thought. And it's not necessarily a sense of self that is associated with that perception, it's just the arising of that perception. You know, when an insight arises, it's very interesting actually, when an insight arises, what I've seen at least is that it's often articulated in a thought, like the one I said the other day, this is just a thought. You know, the understanding was experienced, but then articulated in a thought. And again, that arising of that articulation doesn't necessarily have selfing in it. It's just a thought. And we can not be thinking. We can have a sense of very, you know, there can be a, a time when there is not a lot of thinking happening and still a sense of self. It, it, for example, in a state of deeper concentration, uh, an identification with that state where there's not a lot of sel- uh, not a lot of thought involved, but still a sense of congealing around that. So the sense of self can be a feeling and not necessarily in the thoughts, but the thoughts are a really great place to help us recognize it because probably 99% of our thoughts have the word I or me in them. (laughs) And that's a great clue. (laughs) So we should stop. Oh, something I will say, um, if, in case I forget to say it this afternoon when I talk about selfing, uh, yesterday I talked about the sense of separation, aversion creating a sense of separation. And, um, you know, the sense of self also creates a separation. And sometimes we may not actively recognize a sense of I, but we may recognize a sense of other. You know, so if the, if so, the thought that you know, I said ninety nine percent of our thoughts, you know, might have I or me in them, 
But if our thoughts have you in them, or them in them, that's a form of selfing. I sometimes call it othering. You know, when othering is happening, there's uh, an (coughs) implicit sense of self. And so sometimes you can also watch for that too. Um, So, the, uh, there are two slots available this morning. Uh, I was going to go post my, um, my extra slots today, but there are extra slots available, so I'm going to let those be the extra slots today. There are two, one at um, 10.15, one at 10.30. And so those are the available slots for today for extra. You're all welcome to sign up for them. It's, uh, they're available. So you know, uh, those are the extra slots for today. I'm not going to post extra, extra slots. <laughs> <laughs> so, enjoy your day. <laughs>